From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in just-in-time Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game develop. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are Deluxe Editions and Illusions of Choice. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Wow. <laughs> um, we're squeaking this in under the buzzer, y'all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> normally, our our adjectives in front of Minneapolis are a little opaque, but this one is basically describing what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, we recorded this like yesterday or the day before from where you're sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, just for various scheduling reasons. We all have a lot going on right now. And Ellen, you got sick. I did. We, we rescheduled the session and then you were just like impossible to move and we just couldn't make it happen yeah um it is currently today while we are recording the 12th of october and and we're planning on releasing this in like a couple days and we were going to record it a few days ago but i just woke up you know on recording day i'm like i can't this isn't gonna work yeah um and it wasn't covid i'm fine i'm fine now i don't i don't That's know true. It was. That, it was just, it's funny i didn't even assume that like I, i'm back to the point now where when people say i have the sniffles or i'm sick i'm not I'm not asking that right away. Yeah, yeah that's true. Huh? Yeah, it takes. It actually took me a while to realize. Like, oh, I should. Like, I had, I had shared it with some of my um, team members, and they were like, "Oh no!" I'm like, "Oh wait, wait, no, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. COVID. I was, I'm fine." It was, I think, just me being run down from lots of work stuff and mm-hmm. lots of project stuff and lots of extra stuff. And then Eric and I took a little vacation to. Well, it was a vacation. It was an adventure to Denver. <laughs> And I didn't sleep enough on a that. A Den Venture. A Den Venture. Um, I didn't sleep enough on that Den Venture. <laughs> That's because, what they want you to call it. <laughs> because, because we had a lot of fun. And I, when we were at the Airbnb where we were renting out, instead of taking a nap like Eric did, because he's a smart man, I just watched lots of Netflix. <laughs> so, yeah. So I got really tired and probably made myself a little sick. But I'm pretty much bounced back now yeah that's good and not only is this episode just late to your ears or late to the recording rather but we also we weren't able to come up with topics at a time so just fair warning listener this is what we sound like when we're like rushing to put a show together and i think it's kind of cool for listeners to know that yeah um because there are i mean long-time listeners know that sometimes we have really formal approaches to Mm -hmm. the topics we talk about other times very conversational or improvisational either by design or whatever we we always have notes and we uh, but sometimes those notes are written right before we start yep (laughs) and that's what happened today and i and ellen you were describing a process we go through when we are under the wire like this Mm -hmm. which doesn't happen all the time but it does happen Mm -hmm. that we start out panicked and then like, w- this is not going to work. And then we get really excited as we figure it out. Yeah. And that's kind of gives us a little bit of energy. So we've got like double that energy today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally, it's fun because like, we'll, we'll sit around this table and we'll have our laptops out and be like, what about this topic? And we'll be like, well, have you done that topic before? And yeah. then we'll go to the website and we'll search for it and we'll be like, no, we haven't. Go, go, go. <laughs> and then we'll start like brainstorming ideas for what we can, you know, what we can talk about under that topic. And mm-hmm. then we'll have to cut each other off because we'll be like, no, 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 wait for the show. Wait for the show. Yeah. 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 We do that. <laughs> yeah. We it's do get, great. we kind of get started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. So we do have to, to tamp down our energy and then release it on the, on the show. So yeah. that's what we're working with today. Um, uh, what else is in the news? As long as we're very timely, what else can we talk about that's really recent? Uh, the Nickelodeon fighting game came out. Yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> I've got opinions. Yeah, tune in next week for Stephen's opinions. <laughs> yeah, 
we got some stuff planned <laughs> i guess we do um yeah that's true the topic yeah. i had planned is related to that right. um metroid dread came out yeah and we were all gonna play it yeah and ellen you've been like waiting for this game yeah you did your replay of the whole franchise up to now I didn't do the whole franchise. What I did do, I hadn't played Fusion before. Oh, okay. So I did play Fusion and I finished it a while ago. Um, and since since finishing that, I've been playing Hades. But for the last couple of weeks, I haven't really been playing anything because mm-hmm. I've been so busy. And then I was having a dead adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I'm in the frustrating, frustrating, hair-tearing position of like, do I go back and try to beat Hades before I pick up Metroid Dread? Yeah. Or do I, you know... Just tell Zagreus he's got to take a seat for a little bit because <laughs> my girl is waiting for me. You know, like she's got to run from the Emmys. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Steven, you're in the same situation with Deathloop. Yeah, I haven't beat the game yet and I mm-hmm. want to. Um, so I'm opting to beat Deathloop before I play Metroid. Yeah. Uh, which sucks because I really want to play Metroid. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like, I gotta play Metroid because we're all gonna play it together, and I don't want to be left behind. Oh no! On this game, and like, I haven't played. I'm not. I have nothing to put aside. I've just yeah. been stressing about opening the office, mm-hmm. and like, we have a work deadline coming up with the publisher, and it's like I'm really stressed out. But I played it more than the two of you have. <laughs> I'm a couple hours in. I was yeah. gonna say, what does that mean? <laughs> it's great. Like, uh, it's really good. And yeah, we'll, really let, good. let's table talk on it for now, yeah. and we'll we'll get back into it once the two of you had a chance. But now that listeners know, you know. The, because they know what date we we're pegging this to now. Yeah, you know the clock's ticking for you yeah. guys to to get in oh, on it. Wow, more pressure. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's what I need. Correct. Great. Cool, 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 cool. Um, um, in addition to that, Glom was uh is being featured in wordplay. Yes. So the this is the we buried the lead here because this is the this happened like an hour ago. It did. Yeah, um, that's true. That is extremely tiring. Very timely. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where usually when something timely like that happens, uh, I don't think about ta- talking about it on the show mm. because it's not going to come out for two weeks. So we kind of take our time with this sort of information. But yeah, um, this just happened. Um, so we're still reacting to it. Um, Wordplay is a, a yearly uh, conference that the Hand Eye Society puts on. They are a, a, a nonprofit uh, game dev organization in Toronto mm-hmm. and um, kind of a model for like the kinds of communities you want to form in your own cities. Um, I know I've been a big admirer of theirs for a while and they put on this conference called Wordplay, which is just games that use language. And, um, and every year they have a, a different theme and every year they have about 15 to 20 odd uh, games that they showcase and they have speakers and of course it's online this year and uh, I had just heard about this just as we were putting together our pitch for Galan for publishers and I was like well this year's theme is comedy mm-hmm. and it's games that use language in an interesting <laughs> way and one of the things that I like about Glom is that it has kind of a like it's more than just the words you say like there's the construction how you construct them and your motivations yeah, behind it totally. and what somebody finds interesting and like and how they have their own forms of speaking all of that is embedded in the game and i think there's a lot to it if you do read into it a little bit more and so i thought well maybe this could play at a festival um so we submitted it and we just heard today uh, it's in the showcase so i'm very pl- excited wow. we have to we have to confirm all the details and send them information and stuff, but that is happening in November, Ooh. and um, we will put we'll get more closer to the event. We'll we'll hype it a little bit more because you can yeah. watch it online wherever you are, um, and you can check out all the other games and a bunch of speakers as well, which that list will be revealed at some point, I'm sure. Um, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, 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 this is great, especially for Glam. Yeah, yeah, I mean for us, but just generally, it sounds like a cool, it's a cool conference. Yeah, like, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, I, I wish. I mean, there's so many things to do all the time that you never can scratch the surface, and your, your backlist, your backlog of games and all their things is always gonna grow. Yeah, but also, um, has this been a 
How long has this conference been running and has it been in person in the past? Or? I think it has been in person in the okay. past. It's, this is its ninth year. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, I think they've done, uh, last year they had Signs of the Sojourner there. Oh. The year before that, they had Can Androids Pray by oh, former guest Zellery Nelson. Um, and a bunch of other really, really great titles from like prototype quality to like ready to be released on Steam kind of like varying. But all they all they have in common is that they like play with language in different ways and right. are all like wildly unique. And even though it has that like one like theme and one sort of like overarching concept, the variety of games in these lists. And you can go to the website. We'll put that in the show notes and you can see the past year's uh, showcases mm. um, and get an idea. And a lot of them are itch games that you can just go and play. Very um, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, and, we're, and we got something there now. It's pretty exciting. Oh, we got, so we cool. can put some laurels on the box, Ooh, right? People yeah. are that, right? That's that matters amazing. to some. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> it does matter to some. <laughs> yeah. It matters to me. Apparently in board games, it's really important to have like stickers on your thing. It's oh, like they, a, it's external validation. Yeah, it's um, a, that's so, a regular uh, back of our car <laughs> those, yeah those board game boxes yeah yep. put, put a 26.2 on it yeah <laughs> i'm like <laughs> my student played this board game or something my, this board game smarter than your honor student. yeah there it is <laughs> <laughs> anyway so big news about glom but there's not a ton more detail because we just heard about this so more in future episodes wow yeah like just heard about it yeah why wasn't our adjective for the intro winging it um, because we were winging it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, just in time is a it's a compiler joke. Yeah. Oh. Uh, like a just in time compiler, like takes something like JavaScript, which is not compiled ahead of time, or an AOT compiler like C sharp or C or most a lot of languages, and the web browser or whatever compiler compiles it just before it's needed, and that's a, a, a it has advantages and disadvantages, but it's a compiler joke. Also, an example of wordplay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, we really are on the ball here. Yes. Right? All right. Oh, yeah. Perfect. All right. Yeah. So, my topic has nothing to do with wordplay. Uh-huh. That's my transition. Well done. <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, happy, happy circumstances are that um, Stephen's on the way to the office. So, um, and I'm going to, there's a point to this story. Um, so I got to pick him up on the way and we've been doing that a little bit. So that's pretty cool. And on the way over, we were, we were jamming and then Stephen was telling me about this, this deluxe edition that's being launched on Kickstarter. Yeah. Really good. Deluxe edition of rock, paper, scissors. Uh (laughs) Yes. Do you want to tell us a bit more about this, Stephen? Sure. So they give you um, um, like a geode rock and like some fancy European scissors and some fancy paper. And the way that you're supposed to play the game is you're supposed to, but it's turn based. It's turn based. You're supposed to pick up the object first that you're going to use during your rock, paper, scissors thing. And then you use that to do the, you know, rock, paper, scissors part. Then on the rock, paper, scissors shoot. You display the object you picked. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you you wait. Then just do regular rock paper. Are are they like small totem sized objects? You no, no, no. These are giant. This is a big old rock. You are telegraphing your. You are yeah. That's it's not a serious (laughs) game at all. Well, I mean, I know this isn't a serious project, (laughs) but but I thought it might have. It might not basically break the only thing that that makes that game work. So it's like it's one hundred percent a joke. It's one hundred percent a joke. Oh man, I was already sour on like. On this, this sort of like meta self-referential yeah. bit of it, but now I'm really disliking. Oh. Well, I'm sure the people who put it on are lovely, but <laughs> I wanted to know what Stephen meant by fancy European scissors. I I don't know. They just look like scissors to me. I just but sailed like, by they... me, but yes, let's dig in. 
They just look like scissors to me. I don't know what, what makes them fancy. But Maybe. they're supposed to be fancy. Because otherwise, why would you buy this deluxe edition? Exactly, right? Um, and so the, the, the joke is that like a lot of board games get deluxe edition versions of them, even though like yeah. the games are not of high quality or mm-hmm. like they're just like um, um, cash-in sort of like based off of like properties like movies or something mm-hmm. um, that aren't, you know, they just made that board game so people would buy it because the movie is coming out or whatever. Kind of like video games do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is supposed to be a spoof of that, um, which, you know, I find it very funny. They actually got the guy who does the um, who does a lot of those how to play games. Y'all know who I'm talking about. If you've seen any of them, I can't mm-hmm. think of um, But like they got, for the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> they got him to do a how to play of this game. And it's, uh. it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Alan, you wanted to carry this topic. Yeah, well, another direction, I'm yeah. Not, yeah, I'm not sure I wanted to carry the topic. <laughs> you want to uh, talk about rock, paper, scissors? We, we did just talk about this as a just in time. <laughs> no, but I did want to I did want to facilitate a conversation Ooh. about what that actually means, right? Because you talked about a couple different things there. And, you know, the rock, paper, scissors one is just the thing that was on my mind and kind of where I wanted to start. And then yeah. the, the idea that sparked this as a topic to begin with, um, that's a spoof game, right? So, like, it's a, it's a spoof thing. As Mark was just saying, well, first of all, I'm not sure if rock, paper, scissors is really use as a game does anyone play rock paper scissors for fun like actually, yes there's actually not just to solve a dilemma right there are there are competitions there are rock paper scissors competitions yeah but there, aren't they Ooh. also tongue-in-cheek i don't think they are <laughs> <laughs> i think there are like literal studies about this and strategies and stuff psych outs and stuff it's, like that it's yeah, involved I, I guess anything it's like anything you get into as a gag you will eventually take seriously <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> including 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 geo, geode shears and stationary yeah yes. <laughs> um you know it's funny because i once had a rock paper we were trying to decide something we were trying to solve a dilemma and um my friend jocelyn and i were doing rock paper scissors and we pulled out the same thing for like nine or ten oh, <laughs> wow hits in a row so it was like rock 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 you know you're like one two and it was rock one two scissors yeah. one two paper and we just kept doing it was like it was crazy huh, very yeah. weird thing um so it doesn't surprise me that there's actually competitions but most of the time it's not played for fun it's a way to solve a problem mm-hmm. but with you know, games that are for fun. Yeah. There are still also lots of like special editions or deluxe editions. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about that because we haven't talked about it before and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess the question I have is first one of definitions, right? So like there's deluxe edition and Mark, you were saying that's mostly in a Nintendo thing. Well, it's, it's a, I've never heard that phrase used except for the sort of Game Boy Advance is oh. that what it is where they had a series of games that were oh, yeah. re-releases? The DX thing. DX, yeah. that's mm-hmm. what that stands for. I don't think I've seen that as a phrase applied to anything else, but I know what you mean instantly. Yeah. You know, like the collector's editions or the 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 re-release with all the DLC or yeah. you know, all the season pass stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's a it's pretty wide, right? It could be either something uh that sold day one as an extra, mm-hmm. um, or it could be uh, very frequently when re-releases generally have extra content, yeah. whether that's behind the scenes content or that's extra levels or a new engine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you have a, a specific definition? No, I kind of wanted to just talk about it with you guys okay. and see if we could come, you know, just what we thought about it. I mean, when I think about deluxe editions, um, I do, I, I kind of have the impression of something that is the same mechanics and components, but like fancier. Oh, so yeah, board games. No, that's the the parody, right? Is yeah. is the you get the wooden meeples instead of the the cardboard cutouts? Yeah, yeah. the plastic yeah. whatevers, and then you've got a nicer board, and everything costs more, and it's heavier, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, or you get like extra art with it, or things like that. But I think there's a lot of blurring of the lines, right? Because like, 
you know, what you were just describing when you have extra content that, you know, you can get stuff bundled right off the bat, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, it's not really, I don't really would, I wouldn't really consider it a deluxe edition if you buy uh, a game off of Steam and you buy the bundled version that also comes with the soundtrack. To me, that doesn't say deluxe. Yeah. But it's getting clearer now. I think I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. I think deluxe for me does kind of resonate more with the like, tabletop games and video games sure. but it's more the idea that it's like the same thing but it's been a more like highly crafted right you could okay. play it in the billiards room instead of at the kitchen table <laughs> right oh, that's interesting because now the way you're describing that does not make me think of any video game Ooh, yeah okay tell me more because like to me oftentimes when like a game is re-released and it's like deluxe edition or anniversary edition or whatever kind of edition it's just the same game but with maybe a couple of extra additional content it's not normally like even like remasters like when they remastered um shadow of the colossus Mm -hmm. it's just had better graphics or yeah up-to-date graphics i shouldn't even say better you know the other thing that seems to because i think that remaster would qualify yeah if it was sold contemporaneously with the original yeah yeah right that might be the difference it's the deluxe edition Right. It's, it's it's more of a it becomes more of a marketing or economic term right really when you were when you were describing that and saying that like games that like sell where you get that in like the soundtrack i was thinking of things like where you get the games and you get the soundtrack yeah as like the deluxe edition yeah or like there's the definitive edition where like they release it a couple years later after they've released all of the dlc that they want for the game yeah when you get all of the dlc plus the original game for the same price as the original game was mm-hmm. or something like that yeah definitive mm-hmm. definitive maybe yeah. that maybe that's the the video game um anal- analogy wow i'm still really tired you guys <laughs> <laughs> video game equivalent yeah yes mm-hmm. for board games board games have the deluxe edition but video games have the definitive edition right well it's harder to do it's it's harder to put have more polished materials or like you know what i mean because mm-hmm. it's a different i mean i think that's yeah. fairly self-evident yeah but it because it is a piece of like marketing positioning mm-hmm. right like um a lot of times i think about it as um like price anchoring so you have the normal edition and you have the deluxe edition and then you have the super limited edition yeah mm-hmm. that makes the deluxe edition the goldilocks right yes. mm-hmm. but it then also makes the regular edition not seem so expensive mm-hmm. right and so uh, not i don't mean that cynically but yeah. that is actually a strategy and an effective one yeah like uh, anchors it anchors the yeah. anchors the deluxe as the median mm-hmm. yeah and i mean okay. it implies like that this is something worthy of a deluxe treatment Therefore, you should take the regular version seriously as a real contender in this marketplace. Yeah, because a, a deluxe edition exists. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's so cool. there, there's it's smoke and mirrors, but mm-hmm. I don't want to be too down on it. Even though I don't know that I would be super comfortable yeah. engaging with that mm-hmm. myself. Sure. Well, so so arguably the the video game version of this just appears differently, but the prop the principles are, are kind yeah. of the same. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. The the bonus skin or whatever, or mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the extra weapons or whatever. Like, I mean, I guess or fancy statue. That's a really good example. Yeah. 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 It does affect some of, some of that, that does affect gameplay, but yeah. it's not broadly. It doesn't make the game different. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the. I mean, and, and, yeah, as a result, I mean, the same as board games, like it doesn't change the game. They might give you an expansion or something in the deluxe edition, but mm-hmm. it doesn't change the game, except for in this rock, paper, scissors <laughs> deluxe edition. <laughs> it definitely changes the game. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's interesting. So video games have a version of it too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think sense. so. And we also kind of delved into one of the questions I wanted to ask and talk mm-hmm. about, which is like, why would a developer of a tabletop game or a video game want to do something like this? And it sounds like, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is what you were just talking about, Mark, which is, you know, the marketing aspect of it. Yeah. Um, 
I suppose also though, Stephen, you, you talked about it just a second ago, like the definitive edition. Yeah. You, know, you the developers releasing all the content, all the DLC that they wanted to package in with the original thing with the game. Yeah. In its totality. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So it's also kind of more of like the artistic side of it. You want to make you want to release your game, but you also have more to say. So. Yeah, that it's the flip side of that economic thing, which is this is the version I want. This is my envision, the, in, the perfect version, mm-hmm. but it's going to be too expensive for most people. So we'll do the minimum viable for most people mm. that will sell and that can actually make sense and people would want to buy. And mm. then this is the version that if you know represents my true version vision of it. Yeah, there's a board game documentary that I watched recently. I don't remember the name of it, but we'll try to find it for the show notes. Yeah. That followed a couple of people going to a German um, convention, like the big one that gives the the main, the main sticker you want. Oh, right? yeah. And um, they, they profile, kind of like Indie Game the movie. It's that format. They profile oh, yeah. a couple of people on their journey on the way and, you know, just follows different uh, groups of people. And one of them was designing a board game and uh, his expertise was miniature painting and and design. So he his game had a lot of miniatures. And really very specifically sculpted, like that meant a lot to him, but ultimately he had to dis- he had to uh, release it without that. Uh-huh. They had to just be cardboard cutouts with, you know, the cartoon uh, representations. Sure. And that sort of crushed him. Aww. But like he, he accepted, like there's just no way, like this, the, the game he designed wouldn't, wouldn't engage an audience that wanted to spend $70 on it. Right, and so right. it was sort of a mismatch between that that he didn't recognize early enough, and it was too late to change Dang, like the core yeah. what the game was. Huh. And so, um, my, my if I'm remembering this right, he did end up um, uh, doing a deluxe edition, but like it wasn't it, like it sold like two copies. It wasn't like a you know what I mean. It was just yeah. for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, and so that's the flip side of that. Mm-hmm. It's still economic in a way, but um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure what my opinion is on this. Just like my first reaction is sort of. If 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 either of them happens, it's a failure of some kind. Oh, really? Yeah. Like Interesting. It's, um, it's a logistical failure if you're if the if you you're making a, f- a physical product that is that is outstrips its purpose. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's it's a it's a bit of a uh, of a failure if you're having a deluxe edition that is not essential to playing the game. Yeah. And therefore, what's the point of it? Just fancier materials. Hey, man, uh, fancy materials can be fun. I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, like Scrabble, chess, like the sort of old standbys, they always have, you know, ornate versions and they may even be called deluxe, mm-hmm. but it's, that's a little different from the kind of selling two at the same time, yeah. yeah, kind of on launch sort of thing. Like so. you, you pick up a wooden meeple and you pick, pick up a plastic meeple and you tell me which one you, you prefer. Like yeah. you're going to have an opinion, Mark. Yeah. Well, that's true. But I guess what I mean is that the when you scope your game yeah. and you you decide what it's for and then you you get all the pieces together holistically and this is what it's going to cost and this is how it's going to work and then you either decide to make fancier versions but they're not better because you've mm-hmm. made the best version right. the one you're going to sell you've done all the thinking of it yeah. or that's the better version but you're not going to sell that to people hmm. yeah. as much so it, uh, they both kind of represent a Sure. I'm trying to be generous about it because it's it, I'm not, I don't mean that in really that negative way but it does represent a, some kind of a failure. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if I agree, but I I I'm, I don't know how to articulate mm-hmm. what I well, I think, you know, I'm going to try. Okay. Yeah. Um so for me, I don't often get really excited about deluxe editions of, and I'm thinking I'm just talking about tabletop games. I want to circle back to the idea of this applying to to video games as yeah, well sure. in a little bit. But just for tabletop games, I really don't get very excited about the um like deluxe editions and just having like the nice materials. That being said, I really do love when I come across a game uh, that has deluxe materials as part of it. So like mm-hmm. Splendor is a really good one. Um, 
oh, there's a game called Undertow. That's Undertow. Too many. Oh, too many bones. Yeah, too many bones. Mm-hmm. It's uh, they've got these amazing, like, really well crafted, and it's all like plastic materials. Okay. And and great print work on the instructions and the cards and everything like that. And I really appreciate that. Would I spend more? For nicer materials, if I had the option of mm-hmm. just playing the, through the game with like a basic version, yeah, most of the time probably not. Probably I would just go with the basic version because while the the materials are something that I can appreciate, the thing that really gets me excited is the mechanics and like yeah. playing through the game. Right, right. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. But I don't, I don't know if it would necessarily be a failure. You know, you. I mean, I taking that in that. It makes that's what's different about from board games and video games. Yeah. Because in video games, the visuals are much more important to the experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not important with board games, but right. they it's they're not like your re- reaction time or animation uh, legibility mm-hmm. or sort of menu UX. That's not a thing that board games have. Yeah. They have you know they have instructions and those need to be written you know well and the way things are presented and sort of like. You know, making sure things are color coded correctly, but also provide alternate indicators for people who are colorblind or low sensitivity. Right. All those things matter and mm-hmm. the, about visuals. But in terms of like the you know cardboard versus you know uh, sculpted wood mm-hmm. part of it, it's that difference matters a lot more in video games because yeah. it's much more part of the actual physical play experience. Whereas board games, a lot of the play happens in your imagination, right? Right, in your head. And yeah. so I maybe I'm just not appreciating that much. I'm like I'm, I'm putting too much of an importance on it. Well, maybe. And, and so yeah. the yeah. the conversation y'all are having makes me think the reason why I would ever get any kind of a collector's edition thing is if I'm a fan and I want to display that yeah. I'm a fan mm, of this yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'm not gonna go out and buy deluxe version of The Last of Us because I, you know, you know how I feel about that game, y'all. <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, like I would the new Kirby game that's going out is in 3D and I'm so excited <laughs> for it and I should have put that in the meta. I'm so hyped, y'all. Yeah. Um, I will very likely buy the deluxe edition of that game because it'll come uh-huh. with some nice Kirby plushie. Yeah. <sighs> Steven's desk is covered in Kirby's. I counted them. It's like 26. Is it 26? That's it. There's it's a bunch 26? of there's a bunch of little ones. Yeah. I might have missed a few. <laughs> Let us know when you hit 30 and we'll throw you a little Kirby party. I, I did see at Target the other day a, a like, you know, a, a giant watermelon sized Kirby with the 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 oh. uh, green cap. <gasps> Sword Kirby. Yeah. And I didn't s- notice that one on your desk. I don't have Sword Kirby. I mean, I mean, wait till we're done recording. But- <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to take a break. <laughs> um, what was my point? <laughs> uh, fandom. Yes, 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 exactly. Um. I will likely get the Kirby Deluxe Edition game because I am a fan and I yeah, like yeah, displaying yeah. my Kirby things. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, that's not like a hard decision. Like, because that's yeah. the difference when you buy something and it's like, do I get the $30 version or the $37 version? You can agonize over the $7. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm not saying that's, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. But like, when you do love something, you don't mind wasting $7. Well, yeah. Like just deciding, even when you don't really know what's going to be in that, you're like, you feel, yeah. you feel perfectly comfortable doing that yes ra- rather than worrying about yeah. it steven's not agonizing over this decision yeah at all. exactly <laughs> no because i can just i have it up on my on my desk yeah it'd be so nice lasting value from but, the plushie so uh-huh. so what i'm saying is i think a lot of people who are looking for these deluxe editions i guess the board game equivalent is maybe they really like this publisher or designer or this brand yeah like mm-hmm. i can imagine um the, um what's the, sherlock holmes has a bunch of board games and stuff mm-hmm. i can mm-hmm. imagine a deluxe version that has just fancy sherlock holmes art right um or comes with the uh hardcover book or whatever yeah. um i can imagine somebody p- 
picking that up because yeah. they're just really huge, huge fans of Sherlock Holmes. Well, you addressed maybe something I was going to sort of bring up about that, which is mm-hmm. when you're running a Kickstarter for a new game yeah. and you have the, this is very frequent where yes. you have the different tiers or the, you know, like you get the the plastic or wood or cardboard meeples. Yep. And that's, that's a very common strategy for Kickstarters mm-hmm. for games and publishers and designers you've never heard of. Yeah. Um, but when it's a, like something that's leveraging a certain topic or um, I had a friend who did a, a children's book of Lovecraft stories mm. and they, I mean, one, it was it, the, uh, her sister wrote it and she did the illustrations mm-hmm. and. We should put that in the show notes because br- they really are brilliant. Cool. But they had a little help because there's a built-in fan base, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, people yeah. like novelty and sort of a twist on a, on, a, on a familiar idea. So I could totally see that a similar, like a Sherlock Holmes thing is the example. Yeah. It's, I, that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Um, but I think it, I find it maybe less, makes a little less sense with the, the brand new Kickstarter things. Well, I think there are fans of designers too. Like mm-hmm. um, Leader Games has yeah. like a bunch of, games that are designed by you know people and a lot of those some of those games are very popular yeah like the next game that they make people will just jump on board right away i suspect yeah yeah. i suspect you're right i guess i'm i'm talking just about the 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 kickstarter of a game you've never heard of it got some cool buzz has a neat video yes that you and you you are very interested in it yes but you're not a fan of it yet yeah that's fair that's fair um that's hard that's a harder sell for people Mm -hmm. um and that's a good point like you haven't experienced it enough to really be a fan um so i guess in that instance they're just i think part of it is just them trying to drum up hype for the game Mm -hmm. and hype for the idea of there being a fancy version of it i think you can be in love with an idea of a game even though the game for sure the idea of it ellen i wanted to touch on something you said earlier about how you're not you're not likely to purchase the deluxe edition but you like knowing it's there like oh did i say that you (laughs) you were circling that and Mm -hmm. i think that's steven you were kind of hitting back on that which is this idea of like the you see the platonic ideal of this and that's enough for you mm. you don't have to have it i mean that doesn't help the developer but uh, <laughs> do you, you know what i mean so um, yeah sometimes i'm like i can't remember a specific example but i know for sure oh no it was dave dragons because i backed dave dragons on kickstarter and mm. i still haven't played the game <laughs> i just have this email stuck in my email inbox from like a year ago it's like you're your day of dragons kickstarter reward you get a cool black dragon you can play it in the game i'm like yes <laughs> and I haven't opened it. I haven't even launched that game yet. I really uh-huh. need. I'll do it after I beat my trade dread. I don't know, whatever. Um, but like, it's I. I really liked like what you were guys. What you guys were just saying. I really like the story of the game. I love dragons, so mm-hmm. yay. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to give them some more money. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I got like an extra tier of reward. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, I guess, kind of plays into all that. It's not really deluxe edition though. Not the way we were talking about it earlier. Well. It's, a it's method. on that dimension. In it sense. is on the yeah. dimension. It's an additional yeah. method of supporting someone who feels well, needs support. You were you just use the word reward and not in the Kickstarter reward sense, but in the you are rewarding the developer with a little more, more faith, a little bit more yeah. in, based on your initial interest. Yeah. yeah. So it's not that you're a big fan of them. And like you say, you haven't even played the game yet, but like you bought into their concept, you believed in it and you're like, well, yeah, sure. I will support this further. Yeah. And like, that's a, that is a motivation. I think we've all had from time mm-hmm. to time. We just yeah. like an idea yeah. so much. That will 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 lessen that anxiety on if to spend a little extra. Yeah, 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 totally. I think that even though I haven't launched the game once, I have definitely gotten my money's worth through art <laughs> updates. Yeah, on the Discord channel nice. when yeah. they post like concept art and yeah. new in-game art and stuff like that. I'm like, yes, very good, very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the sort of ultimate thesis of this topic is that the deluxe edition is like, and it's an, it's an idea more than it's anything else. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that you buy into the idea of it. And that's why, that's why they have these like 
various labels and in video games they have yeah. a, a whole myriad of them. Yeah. That's a good that's a good yeah. way of going. And you, you have to justify it with something, but it kind of doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's not a bad thing all the time, but it can, you know, like any tool, it could be used for evil, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's like we were talking about like how these ideas, the idea of a deluxe edition and like the, the you know, more uh, luxurious textures or whatever. If you translate that to a virtual space for video games, what is that? What What is that? Yeah. It makes me think of like all the mounts you can get in World of Warcraft. <laughs> and I haven't even thought about World of Warcraft for months because I'm still angry at Blizzard. But for this conversation, um, it makes, I think it makes for a good example. Yeah. Like a lot of those really fancy mounts that you could get, they didn't actually even move any differently. And yeah. for me, like when I'm riding around on a mount in a game, like the movement is paramount. It's such an important part. It's going to come up in the next episode, I think. Um, but like they didn't even move differently. They just had fancier glows on yeah. them and sparkles <laughs> and things and different mm-hmm. colors. But like your fancy wind serpent would just do the same like (laughs) twisty boy. I'm just going to quickly mark that on the time code here so we can cut that out for later. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't doesn't have like if you think of motion in a video game as like the texture of the video game, the way that you think of like the meeple having texture in a tabletop game. And that being like the carrier of the deluxe experience. Right. Even if you paid for these fancy mounts, to me, they didn't really feel very deluxe. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not well, sure where I was heading with that. But. Well, there's the economics of material, right? Yeah. That make it different. Yeah. It's harder to do in a video game because it's harder to justify. Yeah. Because yeah. like uh, making a new copy of a video game doesn't cost you any, anything. So right. video games are priced based on like production and labor and and uh, 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 revenue estimates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not... It's people, you know, say like, well, once you've sold enough of them, every 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 additional sale is is a hundred percent profit, and it's a different economic model than yeah, yeah. board games, where you actually have to physically produce these things. Yeah, right. And so it's a much easier uh, thing to explain to people, yeah, and for them to believe. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, if you want to make a an actually very fancy wind serpent, then if you're gonna like rebuild it in a way that would feel very different to me, you're not just gonna reskin it. You're gonna like re rig it. Yeah. It's going to have yep. different joints or something like yeah. that. And that's yeah. a lot of extra work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way that comes in video games is usually through DLC, right? Yes. Rather yeah. than other alternate versions, because there's no, there's no, um, there's just a far, there's no metaphor to attach to the alternate version. Like, it's like, why it, we made it, why wouldn't we offer it to the people who, you know, to other people? But yeah. then we made it. So we need to make sure we get paid for our labor and making it. Yeah. So it, that's usually why it's a separate item. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Totally different mm-hmm. economics. And, yeah. Um, Microtransactions is still banned on this this uh, podcast, right? So <laughs> we're not going to talk about that yet. Mark that so we can bleep out the word. We're only allowed to talk about it if we fight about it. Oh, <laughs> I think that's the that's how we that's how we squeaked it in last time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I can't think of a transition. Uh-huh. So let's just go to the. Call I mean, action. money, money, right? Microtransactions, money. Patreon. I mean, Ellen, you're editing this one, but I think there's a couple of spots where you could just put the, <laughs> yeah, the transition and we can go right into it. That's yep, fine. yep. Okay. <laughs> yes, Stephen, money. Um, Patreon is a place that you can give people money. Uh-huh. People like us. That's we have a Patreon account. We do. You can, you, like others have before you, yeah. can give us money by becoming a patron. 
Right, you don't have to be the first one. This is a, this is a proven concept. It yes. is. People, People have given us money. We have gotten it. Yeah. It's a system that works. It's uh-huh. a system that works. And we have been using the money to do things that are, you know, for the show. Not just paying for cookies. Um, we're, you know, we've got cool plans to put it back in the show and maybe get some help so that we can bring you cooler stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about that more when we have those ideas, I think, more planned out. But we also have expenses, you know. Yeah. show costs money to do things and host things and there's a space now that we have and right. it's pretty cool and we've got to have a place for Steven to put his Kirby's and, yeah. and all that <laughs> they need, they need a Kirby house. storage is a pretty big line item in the next game club budget <laughs> apparently becoming I mean 26 they're round they take up a lot of space you guys yeah <laughs> here's an idea for Patreon content now that we're talking about my Kirby's I have a um, a very fancy Kirby statue I could take a bunch of pictures of that and put it in the in Patreon <laughs> so o- only if you pose next to them smiling in every picture so that <laughs> oh, won't be hard I'm very proud of that statue <laughs> I'm glad that you guys mentioned that because the thing is, is you don't just give us money and then we give you podcast you give us money for Patreon and then you get podcast and extra stuff yeah yeah um not deluxe stuff i mean it's deluxe for sure it's good stuff <laughs> yeah good but stuff. it's for it's for you know for helping us out a little bit you get a little you get a little bit more cool stuff and i know you like cool stuff um i'm really excited by the way about doing like a kirby photo shoot i feel like we should put up a little like a little tiny photo room with like the curved white background and like maybe a little tiny stool and have a kirby yeah. like leaning on it and and this, hey. is the, this is the kind of content we couldn't possibly justify for the podcast but yeah. we want to do so badly and so please give us some money so we can make it happen <laughs> we could get a little kirby motorcycle yeah <laughs> Oh my god! All right, Ellen, you needed to go and write down all these ideas before you forget them. <laughs> nope, they're in the podcast, and I'm gonna edit this one, so okay. I'll remember. <laughs> um, Patreon.com/slash Nice Games Club. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, we're back uh, from that lively break. Uh, and it's time for my topic. Uh, this is al- illusions of choice. Illusions of choice. It's illusion of choice. But Stephen, when you said it in the intro, you said illusions of choice. That's because it's there's an S. Right. Well, I know. And <laughs> I'm saying that's better. That's a better name oh, for the topic. All right. Cool. cool. Uh, because I think when we talk about uh, illusion of choice in games, we sometimes there are many ways you could describe that. But mm-hmm. we have sort of specific. There's a specific trope, I think. Yeah. Which is this like. The uh, in a telltale telltale game, you'll see like this person will remember that, but yeah. they actually won't. Right. You know, um, that that's used as kind of a narrative conceit, and I think we've accepted that as a tool of the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're at least developers are not. We don't think that's a trick necessarily, but I want to talk about that, but a little bit broader in thinking about how um, how might like providing those choices to players be 
detrimental to gameplay, how providing choices, which, um, you know, as a meta commentary, um, might be, uh, interesting or perhaps hack. Um, yeah. like the, and, and that goes from, uh, mechanics, like mechanical choices you can make, like how you equip your character, the choices you make, which weapons you pick or which moves you employ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, narrative, which is where I think a lot of this is a lot of sort of obvious, uh, thinking about this goes. Um, so first I want to ask the two of you just about like, as a tool for a developer, like, does it feel like black magic or does it feel like that's like a standard thing? Um, oh, it, to me, it feels like a standard thing yeah. in a lot of cases. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that there's just the, our industry, I puts a lot of emphasis on, on player agency and making sure that the players feel like they have power in situations. Yeah. So I think that having illusions of choice gives us the ability to give players the feeling that they have a lot of power when they don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sorry, listeners. The, the way you phrase that is so interesting because it mm. really does, it unlocks this idea like, that's what games sell this idea to they people. They do. And just the way you said it made me think, because it's kind of like, well, the games are power fantasies. They have to be. Yeah. But I, for some reason, the way you said it makes me think like, maybe we just engineered th- this industry to be that way. Maybe they don't have to be that. We, we definitely did. Um, yeah. I will uh, start tweeting about it later. <laughs> 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 but no, I, I think that like, because that is something, because I think like we've had, we've had discussions on power fantasies plenty of times in the past. Yeah. I think power fantasies have their place and it makes a lot of sense that a lot of games are based around those kinds of ideas. Mm-hmm. But I think that also because we've gotten to the point in games that people expect a power fantasy and they don't want experiences that are outside of that or they don't think they want experiences outside right, of that. Right. Um, so that's where the illusions of choice can come into play because mm-hmm. it allows the it allows us as developers to give players the feeling of a power fantasy without them actually experiencing it because it doesn't actively matter what they did, right. even though it feels so, that's the case. Or right. yeah. Cause they'll, they'll, they'll be powerful in the game no matter what they choose potentially. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll just be more on the blue side or on the red side. Yeah. Right. Or you'll, you'll have the shotgun or the rocket launcher, Yeah, but they both kill the boss. Rocket they launcher. Yeah. Why? That's not a choice. <laughs> rocket launcher. <laughs> Come on. Um, Speaking of illusions, <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah. Alan, the work you do is more like it's more utilitarian, like learning experience design. Mm-hmm. But do you sort of employ some of those same kind of techniques to sort of move people along or to help make the experience better, or is it a little bit more taboo? Ooh, no! It's actually it's it's a it's used somewhat in a few different ways. Okay, it's used in a few different ways. Yeah. One way that you can use um, branching, I call it branching, when we're using it in learning experience design is you can use it to kind of create engagement or more of like a flow, right? So you give people choices, but not necessarily the choices might not matter. Um, It's just like a way for people to engage. So a really good example of this that you can find is a company called Jelly Vision. Oh. Um, And it's not that they use like simple branching all the way through their experiences, but sometimes like they'll they'll create like a conversational experience and there'll be like a narrator who asks you a choice and then you respond like you know just like a telltale game Mm -hmm. you know some of the choices that you use to respond don't actually lead you down significantly different paths they just converge in the next round yeah that's a way that you can keep people moving through the experience um without necessarily having to do a lot of the writing of course that requires lots of branching Mm -hmm. but another way that we can use branching and learning experience design is to capture people's misconceptions about a topic right so like if you're doing learning experience design it's because you want to people to do something differently you want people to do something do the right thing at the right time is what 
um, is the phrase that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if people aren't doing the right thing at the right time, it's for reasons. They don't have they don't have enough time. They don't have the right training. They have misconceptions about what they're supposed to be doing. They don't have like the requisite acronym in their head that they need to be able to reference. You know, there's yeah, all yeah. sorts of reasons why people aren't doing things. And what you can do in the learning experience is that you present those choices to people. And then you let them experience the consequences of those choices mm-hmm. because that's how people learn. That's how people, you know, they calibrate their system one thinking, which is their intuitive thinking. And that's what we're relying on mm-hmm. much of the time. So you get people to be like, okay, so if I, if I believe that a, an octagon that's red colored and has a white border means slam on the gas in my learning experience, I'm going to give people you know, if I'm the designer, I'm going to give people the choice of slamming on the gas when they see that symbol. Yeah. yeah. And then they're going to get hit by a train. Not really. Like in the game, they'd get hit by the train. <laughs> yeah. Right. This isn't a full uh, simulator. Right. This isn't the, this isn't the matrix. <laughs> um, I, I can't program a real train, which is good. Because you just heard what I said about rocket launchers. <laughs> Don't trust me with that. Um, right. So then they'd be like, okay, well, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't go forward mm-hmm. when I see red octagon with white border mm-hmm. which is a stop sign mm-hmm. for people who don't have stop signs which might be some people oh. hey some people i don't know is it a universal sign i don't know no that that's fair is it i don't know uh, Getting we'll look it up we'll look yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. anyway now you know <laughs> yeah don't go through those signs in the u.s um okay so and then you'd of course like be like okay what should you do and you give people the option to break and so when they choose that then they wouldn't get hit by the train they'd mm-hmm. stop at the sign so that's how we use it in learning experience design is that we use branching to um to represent what we call distractors which are a, you know incorrect options yeah right from the perspective of the designer incorrect options that we need to correct in order to achieve the training or learning outcome so that's interesting and specifically to that because that's games do that a lot too where yeah. you you're, you're you're meant to to find the dead ends on your way to the right path yeah. yeah but what if you choose the right path do you miss some sort of the presentation you know what i mean because like if you choose the right path maybe you guessed yeah uh, like uh, you know do you, do you get the corrective lesson or not yeah uh good um good question i mean like that's what you, you when you put in feedback usually when you're doing a learning experience yeah. you have to put in feedback right and so the, if you're doing feedback that is um just depending on the, the purpose of the game your feedback will sometimes tell the learner why that was the right choice mm-hmm. and so it, there's there's play in between them so if you go just on the right path and you guess then you're still going to get the learn like yeah. you're still going to learn that it's the right thing yeah so like if you were doing a learning game about stop signs, actually, I kind of did this once. There was a like a, it was called um, Operation Lightsaber, Lightsaber, not Lightsaber. <laughs> That'd be cool. Operation Lifesaver, yeah, which was a training program to help truck drivers follow proper like stopping and checking procedures at right. railroad crossings. We can link to it in the show. Um, but it had a little bit of that. I was like, you had to do these things, and if you didn't follow this procedure, then you you're getting nailed by a train. Um, but one of the things that they did is they didn't just assume they didn't just give you one mm-hmm. and yeah. say, okay, well you did the right procedure. You're good to go. You had to do it multiple times in slightly different contexts. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say that's what would, that's how we do it in video games too, is like maybe you'll take the, you know, the correct path and avoid the dead end path one way, but like you just keep testing them to make sure that they get it until they get to the point where like you can't get past it unless you've proven that you can get through this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so some, we do the same sometimes thing. that could be difficult yeah. in games because you have the, 
because that uh, very frequently you'll have players who are very good at that genre yes mm-hmm. uh sort of intuit their way to the right choices yep. until they get to the thing where it actually is a novel choice yeah that if they had stumbled a little bit earlier they'd have more context for mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so that i mean ultimately that's narrative right yeah, yeah. yeah. like in, in in the way it's 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 telling a story and so that's the, the that's the two halves of it, right? The yeah. mechanics and the narrative. Yeah. And I think, um, especially when it comes to like pathing through things, I think I was thinking of, I mean, I've played a little of Dread, but like, I don't <laughs> want to talk about that, but Metroidvanias yeah, uh, yeah. like have this thing where it feels like you could go anywhere. You're lost. Where do I go? But it's entirely composed of dead ends until yep. you find the one right exactly. way. Yeah. And yet, and we fall for it every time. Like uh-huh. it, it doesn't feel like we don't have those choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, other times it can be more about like the optimal choice. Like Mega Man is one where it's like, yes, you can fight the robot masters in any order you want, but right. there is a right order to do it. <laughs> yeah. There's the best way. You know? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we did that in Widget Satchel too, where like, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably harder to find the optimal path because the game does not punish you for not doing that. Yeah. Right. But we do have one optimal path. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's not nothing wrong with that. And I think that's maybe my thesis here is that like, it's not that just that we use this tool to sort of like guide to another thing. It's that choices aren't all they're cracked up to be. Agreed. <laughs> and maybe we should <laughs> and, and we should stop telling players how important they are. Mm. Like oh, interesting. One, of, one of the things about Mass Effect that bothers me so much is that uh, not. I mean, in the end, you do make one of three choices, and that's the whole game. Right. That so yeah. that that has its own bit of criticism that I don't want to get too deep into. But right, right. when you play, uh, when you're talking to a, a NPC. And you have a couple of options and one mm-hmm. of them is like, you know, tell them off or be gentle or whatever. You can pick which way to go. Yeah. But very frequently you can pick one then the other. Right. Because because yeah. players don't like having things denied to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you have like like two ways to end a conversation. Mm-hmm. But very frequently you, you can like investigate. You can ask lots of questions. Yeah. You can ask the same thing over and over again. And the, if you're trying to role play about what my my shepherd would be interested in. Then you only ask certain questions, but you were playing this game. You want all the, you're collecting items off the ground. So your choices are not choices. Like the developer is presenting them to you as narrative choices. Yeah. What does Shepard say next? But the player is like, I'm going to pick up object A and object B and object C. Now I have all three objects. I don't right. care what order I did them in. I just got them all. Right. Yeah. They're not making a choice necessarily. And the ones who do end up missing out on a lot of context mm-hmm. because a lot of times, narr- like, you know, important thing about side missions or context for later story is hidden as you, if you engage with NPCs right. more. But the language of that is just collecting all the sentences. Right. Yeah. Finding the finding the power ups hidden right. in the. That's why I go to all those dead ends in a Metroidvania because yeah. I know there are hidden things. And I'm like, well, that looks like a nook. And I bet there's a secret in that nook. No, there wasn't. They tricked me. Ah, <laughs> yeah, but there's right. probably one over there. And there is. Yes. And then lots of games have like a ticking clock in the narrative. But then they're open world games. So you can get to it when you're damn and ready. Yeah. Yep. Already. And, so, <laughs> and, and I think if a player is going to be motivated by that narrative uh, mo- uh, incentive, mm-hmm. then there should be some like first class gameplay experience for engaging with that yeah and uh, a lot of these games just refuse to go there hmm. in a way that it's it's not just that like the, the genre is sophisticated enough which is its own criticism i i really f- feel that like they're just not going there and it's so weird to me hmm. because we are so we do want to give players power, power fantasies we're still focused on more more collectibles is a better experience is a better playthrough even if narratively it doesn't track yeah. or like, I mean, I would love a, a, a one of those moral choice games where you can be good or evil and actually just picking all the options because you, that instinct, it punishes you because that turns you evil. Like mm. the best, the optimal play is to just make one choice and stick with it. Yeah. And like no game lets you do that. 
pretty much. It's you know it's interesting because we the we framed this topic as illusions of choice, but the way that I'm starting to think about it is illusion of constraint. Yeah. Oh. You know, because we talked about what, what clicked for me around that was when you were talking about the ticking clock. Yeah. It's not a clock. It's just ticking. <laughs> yeah. There's no oh, time. Con- there's no time constraint. It's yeah. not a clock. It's just a noise that sounds like a clock so that you feel like there's a constraint, even though there isn't a constraint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. And, and that, that is something that bothers me in a lot of games, too, that will do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I wish. Yeah, I wish that there was more. It's kind of weird because, like, I I feel like we're arguing for a complete, or not a complete 180, but almost a 180 <laughs> in the, yeah. the direction that AAA is going, mm-hmm. um, and has been going for years. And that's, I mean, not fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think, I mean, the it's really easy to to say AAA is not, you know, yeah. uh, well, it's easy to make those criticisms. That's true. In but this is very it. true of like the, the whole visual novel genre. And yes. I know that this is probably going to be the thing that gets me in the most trouble with listeners. <laughs> But so many visual novels and pieces of interactive fiction are that but worse Mm. and that they really encourage you to try it all, to play the game over and over again to get all the outcomes. And and so you're not making choices. You're just collecting sentences. I I think it's kind of worse in in indie in in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Which, you know, it doesn't invalidate what those games do. Mm. And if you're and if you're someone who makes that game, you know, that there's other qualities. It doesn't ruin your game. Yeah, exactly. But But I think that one of the things that people profess to like about interactive fiction is that sense of role play and that feeling of being in that space and right. and playing along and following and i don't mechanically it doesn't really work that way i don't mm. think and i think it's okay to narratively play that out and and so it doesn't like i said it doesn't ruin it but i feel like we get really comfortable in indie spaces thinking like where where are the where are the already sophisticated ones yeah but i don't know that we do that any better at least in that particular area i don't feel like i'm already unsophisticated i got really <laughs> excited about rocket launchers earlier <laughs> but you know this is about mechanics too so games yeah. that have loadouts where you like pick you carefully outfit your squad yeah like a lot of times and steven this is we might disagree on this a little yeah, bit yeah we probably are i can already feel yeah, it because <laughs> we're getting to spreadsheets which uh-huh. is where like uh, to me, when you just move numbers around, that doesn't yeah. really change anything in my uh-huh. mind. And so if you're able to put together a squad that can take out the boss by having like two heavies and a healer, yeah. but then you're, another squad to take it out is like a sniper, uh, you know, and two like mid-range fighters or whatever. Yeah. I don't, that's not really that different. Like, I, mm, like play style can change. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, yes, I'm thinking style. broadly. Sure. Like, yes. like that, um, the game is still the same. The the end. The when you defeat the boss, the cutscene is yeah, identical. Yeah, yeah. Like so, the plot point. I completely agree with you. The mm-hmm. end result is the same. I mm-hmm. disagree that it, it 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 matters in that the play style is different because like one player might enjoy having a healer and one player might not. Um, and I think that matters from like the minute to minute gameplay perspective. I I is mm-hmm. ideally that's true. Oh yeah. But what I think happens in a lot of games like I'm thinking of XCOM two, which I sure. really really liked. Uh huh. Um and. But it didn't really matter what my squad was made of. Okay, <laughs> I could always, I always did about the same. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. And and I and I think I was pretty good at that game. Sure. Um, it, I maybe used different tools to do it. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, oh, I brought three snipers on this trip. Whoops. Mm. Doesn't matter. I can still win. Like yeah. it's you know yeah. because games are designed to always be beatable. Yes. It, those true. types of mm. games are. That's fair. And so they they round off the edges, right? Mm-hmm. Because. If they were to give you real choices, then it means you have to have failing choices. Right. Yes. Games don't want to give you those choices. Yeah. And so a lot well, of times even, it, it feels a little bit like just, uh-huh. you know, uh, picking your outfit. Yeah. For the and, trip. and even when mm-hmm. they give you failing choices, you are allowed to start again. Right. So, yeah. So like 
I don't know. It's the same kind of thing. <laughs> Was there an all rocket launcher group option? <laughs> <laughs> so before we brought uh, that up, <laughs> before we run out of time, yeah. Stephen, you and I went to lunch last week, yeah. and we had this conversation about uh, a, a sort of a, a, a you brought it up mm. this idea of a dialogue simulator. Yeah, I was. Ooh. So what I was thinking is that, like, I guess ultimately, in, in my mind, ultimately, the the choices you make in games are. They don't, they kind of don't matter. And I wanted to like spoof that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my idea was that you're just having like a regular conversation with the person, but like literally every sentence that you have to say, you have to make a decision. And ultimately it didn't decide what the other person was going to say. It just kind of moved on to the next point. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, we kind of like bounced around a bunch of ideas when we were talking about that. And like, I, I kind of, I brought up the idea that like, maybe we can make a thing where you're not really making decisions on what your specific words you're going to say, but like. The ideas or emotions behind the words you're going to say, right? Mm. Um, Which so games have inched in that direction, mm-hmm. they have, right? Yeah, and so sometimes to hilarious results mm-hmm. where you don't say <laughs> what you think you're saying, right? And I picked up on that. And my spin on that is the choices you make are not about your actions; it's entirely about your reactions. Yeah, when you're having a conversation with someone, like, and you made this point, is that what you say isn't always that important. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 the direction you go, the 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 yes. way you respond, and the way, and so. I think a, a great simulator in this case would be somebody says a thing and all you can choose is how you feel about what they say. Yeah. Like that makes me feel confused or that makes me angry or I disagree. Mm-hmm. And then the character that you're playing as speaks. Yes. And mm-hmm. and and you don't have any idea what that's going to be um, because it's kind of moved pretty quickly. And I think if you are to simulate every sentence you say, yeah. that can feel boring in a way that real conversations aren't boring. Right. Yeah. And so you have to kind of tackle that abstractly mm-hmm. um and i think that would kind of work um and i feel like it is just we're sort of one step on the way yeah mainly because um uh, rpg uh, designers didn't want to write the seven sentences you say yeah. in a dialogue option yeah they just summarize it basically mm-hmm. but i think that's sort of onto something that could be a lot stronger which is just react this way and then you don't get to react differently yeah, that's the re- way you react. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, actually, it would probably make more sense because a lot. Of, I think a lot of the context that they give you is like this is the context of the phrase you're eventually going to say. Yeah, but it doesn't tell you the emotions behind the context of that phrase you're going to say. Right, right. <laughs> um, whereas, like, if you just talk about emotions, if you're just like, um, this character is angry, or you're angry at this person, mm-hmm. then it'll make sense. Whatever you say is probably going to make the other person angry or whatever. Yeah, it'll make sense in context. And I don't know yeah. about what your feelings about this next part are, but mm-hmm. one of the things I liked about that is it lets the developer tell the story they want to tell. Yeah. Instead of tr- convincing the player that they're the one telling the story. Yeah. That's yeah. one thing. I don't know. I've probably talked about it on the show before, but like I am generally uninterested in like choosing the ending of a story. Yeah. Like I feel that there's way something interesting about multiple endings. That's mm-hmm. an interesting narrative technique, but I just, I want to see both endings then. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and exactly. th- then I get a fuller picture of the story. Right. I don't want to be, I don't want to choose one ending or the other. That's, that's, that's not an interesting storytelling technique to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to be part of the story as it plays out. Yeah. Yes. And I don't care if my choices matter. Yeah. <laughs> and so my thinking of something like this would be really about, like reacting and it would it uncover different things from players, but it wouldn't change the plot necessarily. And it wouldn't be presented in a way that fools the player into thinking they did. So that's the illusion that I think like sometimes it's very helpful and sometimes it can in, in, improve other elements of a game. But sometimes it's all it is is an illusion. Yeah. And we just have to be comfortable with that. And I think we can get rid of some of that by yeah. not by not telling players they have such control because game writers are not going to come with a million different outcomes. And like whether you save or somebody or let them fall off the cliff 
is going to change everything about the rest of the game in real yeah. life. Mm-hmm. But because it never plays out that way, because that is just a production impossibility. Right. Um, but even if it was possible to like, if you, you know, you, you go one way, you end up with a, this sequel. If you go this way, you go with a completely different sequel. Like yeah. if that were possible to do, um, it still wouldn't be that interesting. To mm. me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if you're like this kind of simulate like this conversation simulator. Would you imagine it having, uh, you know, imagine you have all the li- unlimited AI developers at your back. Sure. Like, w- would would you want your choices to matter? Um, because they could in a, yeah, in a, in a not, thing like this. Not necessarily. It depends on the mood. Yeah, yeah it depends <laughs> the on the mood. <laughs> depends on the mood. Yeah, because I, I I agree that like it would be interesting if if players could be more like actors and less like controllers of the game. Yeah. Um. Um. Like they're just like you know. Playing a playing their part in the game's narrative that would be interesting in a lot of ways that I feel games don't do very frequently. Yeah. Um, so like I guess for that reason alone, it'd be more novel if we made it so the choices didn't matter. <laughs> Sometimes I think that like, and this is I think what we're kind of maybe circling around, mm-hmm. but the creating choices or the illusion of choice or the illusion of constraint in a game isn't. It's not a mean. It's not the end, right? It's a yeah. means to an end, and the yeah. means yes. the the means is the you know different choices that you have, but the end is emotional engagement, right? Right, an yeah. emotional impact, and you right. don't need to have multiple endings or multiple paths to right. create that. You Absolutely. need a compelling experience and all the other things we talk about on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but you summarized it brilliantly. Like it's a means to an end. So if the only if the end is fooling the player into thinking they had a choice, then it's not worth it. Right. If the end is making them feel one way improving some other element of the game yeah you know then the illusion is justified yeah right whether it's mechanical or narrative or whatever yeah but yeah lots to think about at first when you guys are talking about this conversation simulator which hey maybe that's a hiatus project but at first when you guys are talking about it i was thinking that you guys are like going to make something like the elcor from mass effect where they just start every sentence with how they're feeling oh i like those characters (laughs) they're fun with great appreciation Thank you for this topic, Mark. That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and Pikachu costumes. They're very cute. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes. Join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. And also we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you get to enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Wish, 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 wish.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 